Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. What if? What if the worst thing that ever happened to you? What if that could be the best thing that ever happened to you? What if? What if the most painful situation that you've ever faced, that your family's ever gone through, what if that thing that you faced becomes the place where God chooses to do his most incredible work? I'm just asking, what if? What if? What if that thing that is messed up broken, busted. What if that's the thing and the place where God chooses to come in his redemption and his grace and his power and show his love for you? What if? What if? What if that thing that was so hard becomes the most beautiful thing? in your life? Is it even possible for that to happen? Well, according to the Bible and according to today's movie, I believe the answer to that question is a resounding yes. Take a look at this clip. more than a quarter of a million people have fled the terror of Rwanda. We're never going to make it. We will. 2,000 are dying each day. More than one death every minute. This is the bloodiest civil war in 20 years. Madness, why are they doing this? Stay calm, we'll be okay. The Rwandan killing fields are a bloodbath of humanity. The death toll has risen to half a million deaths. Terrified Rwandans are fleeing in every direction. The madness and horror is beyond comprehension. No man knows how or when his test will come, nor how far he will go to protect those he loves. So, based on a, a true story, um, Beautifully Broken tells the story of a guy who's the protagonist in the movie by the name of William. In 1994, when civil war breaks out, William, who is a Tutsi, and who's also a supervisor of a Rwandan coffee company, finds himself on a run from the uh, Hutu militia that are seeking to destroy their life. They flee to nearby Kenya where they find refuge in a refugee camp. And there, William is offered a lifeline of sorts. He's given the opportunity to come to the United States and to seek asylum. It isn't ideal. 
for his family, but it seems like the best hope for their future. Now, according to the United Nations, one in every 113 people in the world today are either seeking asylum, they are internally displaced, or they are refugees. In fact, we have more people that are on the move today and that are seeking to flee religious or social or political persecution than we have seen since World War II. An estimated every minute, an estimated 24 new people are going to be displaced. I want you to think about that. That's a staggering number. That means that in the time it's going to take me to finish this talk this morning, there will be upwards of another 700 individuals who are going to be trying to protect and salvage their very life, and many will lose their life in the process. So in trying to live, they're going to die. Now, William comes to the United States of America to seek asylum, but he cannot bring his family. And his wife and his daughter are left behind in the refugee camp in Kenya, and they are dealing with what so many families who have been displaced deal with. They're facing continual reminders of their brokenness. I want you to take a look at this scene. Denied? That's what it says. But why? Woman, I see this every day. Man abandons his family, starts a new life somewhere else, and they are left here without a clue. My husband has not abandoned us. He would never do that. He's an honorable man. Of course he is. So where is your marriage certificate? We lost everything in the war. That is why he went to America. To build a new life for us. Oh, America. But he has not given you a permanent address for your application. Because he's staying in a church. And all of you can stay there. Well, no, of course not, The rules but... are very clear. No job, no residence, no visa. It's time you wake up. He's gone. But he sends us money. That's not proof. Maybe he has a guilty conscience. Consider yourself lucky. Next. Next. How long, Lord? How long must we wait? Why would you bring me to America and allow my family to suffer alone without me? They're in pain, and I feel a part of me is lost without them. Please, God, give me the wisdom to see your plan, for I lean on your faithfulness, and I trust in your goodness, even when the valley is in darkness. So this, this movie struck a unique chord with me because I have a pastor friend here in, in Kettering in the Dayton area, Mon Kajabika, who actually, this is his story. He's experienced this very same thing coming from Rwanda and seeking asylum 
here in the United States of America. It's so difficult, it's so painful. And yet his story is one of beautiful brokenness. Now, those two words, when we first hear those, they just simply seem mutually exclusive, don't they? How can they go together? How is it possible that brokenness could actually be beautiful? And yet, according to the words of Jesus in his very first sermon, he actually tells us how God operates in the plane of brokenness. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then, then can you be embraced by the one who is most dear to you. I think in life, it sometimes takes us coming to the end of ourselves to actually discover that God was there all the time. It sometimes takes us coming to the end of the thin line that we're holding on to to find that there is another lifeline that God offers to us. There is something there that God wants to meet us in. Sometimes it takes being diminished to find God is magnified and that God is there and God is bigger than your brokenness. In the words of Rascal Flats, this one thing I know is true, that God blessed the broken road. How many of you here can testify to that reality? I know I can. I can testify to the fact that, that I am a product of brokenness, that in brokenness I have found God in ways I would have never, ever even imagined. And I have a hunch that there's many here at Grace Crossing Church that can actually say the very same thing. You recognize that in your brokenness, God blessed it, and you found God to a greater degree than you could have ever imagined. In fact, let me tell you this, and this may surprise some of you, but Grace Crossing Church is just a collection of beautifully broken people. It's a collection of people who have experienced difficulty, pain, heartache, and hardship, and it wasn't easy. That pain may have been caused by their choice, or it may have been caused by somebody else's choice, but at the end of the day, there was brokenness in their life, and it led them straight to Grace Crossing Church. They're here today. They're in this auditorium because of their brokenness, and they have found God in the process of that. You see, I think God has a way of coming to us in our moments of brokenness like he does in no other time. Psalm 51 actually says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That word contrite is an interesting word. It's actually taking brokenness to a whole other level. It's a word in the original language that means to be crushed into small particles. To be ground into a fine powder. To literally be pulverized. 
Doesn't that sound fun? And yet what God is saying is that when we come to him in that kind of moment, God is there and he doesn't despise it. In fact, he says, that is an offering that you can bring to me and it's one that will be one of the greatest acts of worship you will ever give me. That's what it means. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart. Our staff team a couple of years back, read a book entitled Brokenness. The author, Nancy DeMoss, actually makes a great statement about what brokenness is. She likens it to a house with roof off and walls down. I really like that. She says, listen, brokenness is living a life where the roof is off and you are broken toward God and the walls are down and you are broken in relationship with others. You stop trying to just act like everything is okay when it isn't. You actually become honest with God about what's going on, and you become honest with God's family that can come around you and help you experience in your brokenness the kind of wholeness that God so longs for and so desires you to experience. You know, it's kind of an odd thing, but but pain is a tremendous gift from God, isn't it? It's a tremendous gift. We don't often think of pain and brokenness as a gift, but here's the reality. It is. I mean, God's God. Have you ever wondered, why doesn't God just make life so easy that I never experience pain? Wouldn't that make life easy? No, it wouldn't. It would make life dangerous. There's a rare medical condition called congenital analgesia which means that an individual who is born with this rare condition has an inability to feel physical pain. Just ask them if it's good for them. And they will be the first to tell you that there's nothing good about not experiencing pain. Author C.S. Lewis said it this way. He says, God whispers in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pain. He goes on to say that, that pain is like God's megaphone where God is trying to get our attention. And, there's, and it's true, nothing gets our attention in life like pain does. When I was about eight years old, I walked up to a stove that still had the old coils on it, and it was no longer red hot. And I just wanted to see that when it stops being red hot, does it mean it's no longer hot? And I decided as a little boy to stick my hand right on the coils of a stove that had just been turned off. Let me tell you, I experienced pain in a way that gave me an appreciation for honoring heat and stoves and fire and not playing with it because it's painful. And the truth is, it's a tremendous gift from God even though we have a tough time on the front end really giving God thanks for it. Here's what Psalm 34 says. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. That word close in the original language means so near that you can almost touch. When we experience brokenness, God's presence becomes palpable. 
You can almost sense it. You can almost feel it. You sense the nearness and closeness of God in a way that you never have before. And all you need to do is find yourself in a situation where you're experiencing pain and suffering and brokenness. And you all of a sudden become really dialed into this reality. The worst genocide that ever took place in our history was the Holocaust. Six million Jews systematically tortured and terminated. Along with tens of thousands of other ethnic minorities and socially marginalized people. Very few people lived to tell about the atrocities of the Holocaust. But one man who did was an Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist by the name of Viktor Frankl. In 1946, when the concentration camps were liberated, Frankl went back to his work as a neurologist and a psychiatrist, and he decided to write a book. He write a, wrote a book entitled Man's Search for Meaning. And in the book, here's what he suggests. He suggests that if you're going to have meaning in life, you've got to find meaning in suffering and pain and brokenness. That you cannot really understand the meaning of life without understanding the meaning of suffering. He actually suggests that our purpose and our meaning in life comes from the fact that we get to make choices about every event that happens to us, including the most excruciating events. And he recounts stories from those days in the concentration camp where he was an advocate for people that wanted to end their life, and he said, don't do it. Let them starve you. Let them put you in the gas chamber. Because if you can find some purpose and meaning to these atrocities, the world will never forget the evil that took place. The world will never forget. And all of a sudden, your suffering will have value. He actually wrote in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, that there are three components to find meaning. You need something to work for, a purpose. You need someone to love, a meaningful relationship. And you need to have a redemptive view of suffering and brokenness. Here's the reality. God and God's word gives us the redemptive view of suffering and brokenness. We only find it when we come to God. Romans chapter 8 is perhaps a familiar verse to you, verse 28, but here's what it says. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The Bible here does not suggest that all good things work for our good. The Bible here does not suggest that all easy and comfortable things work for our good. Now, what the Bible suggests is that God uses all circumstances to actually perform and produce his perfect plan for our life. You see, pain and brokenness is an unwelcomed invitation 
by God to God. And what this verse suggests is this. No experience that you ever go through is ever wasted. God repurposes every experience of our life and uses it for his glory and for our good. For his glory and for our good. Listen, if you are here today and you are grateful for the good things that happen in your life and that's the only thing you're grateful for, that's easy work. There's nothing hard about being grateful for the good things that we go through. The real challenge becomes, can we be grateful for all things in our life? The good and the bad. The sorrow and the joy. The success and the failure. The rejection and the rewards. Can we be thankful and grateful to God that he's used all those things to produce in us the person that he desires for us to be? Because he had a plan. He had a plan before we were ever created. And that plan was to transform us into the image of his son. And if you're here today and you think, I don't believe that serving God includes suffering, you only need to look at the life of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 5. Surely he took up our pain. Surely he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. That is the natural tendency when we are going through difficult times. We think God is displeased with us. We think God is punishing us. We tend to feel like we are stricken by him and afflicted, and we deserve whatever pain comes. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed, pulverized for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We would not need to be healed if we never suffered. We would never need to experience healing if there was never any pain. If we were never broken in life, we would never know the joy of experiencing the healing that God brings through Jesus Christ who identifies with us. I would submit to you this morning that pain and brokenness is the platform upon which God does his best work. Just look back on your life. Look back at the times when you prayed the most. Look back to the times when you were most sensitive to God. Look back to the times when you needed others and you weren't afraid to reach out for help. Think back to the times when your heart was most humble and sensitive, pliable to God. And I think what you'll discover is there's a connect dot, a connect line to the dot of brokenness, places where you experienced it. 
And here's another thing I'm convinced of today. I'm convinced that we as Christians have to have a posture much like Job had. Job, a man who seemed ruined to the world, was becoming useful to God. And in his most broken moment, his wife comes to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? Give up this integrity of saying you trust God. I love his question to her. Job chapter 2, verse 10. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? And then, and then here's what the Bible says. The Bible says right after this, in all of this, Job did not sin against God. Why did the Bible say that? I mean, this would seem like it's the right thing to say. I think God put it there because he knew there'd be a theology that would espouse that if you loved God and served God, you would never suffer. You would never have difficulty. You would never experience brokenness. That simply isn't true. Job went on to live his life, and he went on to tell one of the best stories that we read about in all the Bible. When you read the story of Job and you come to the end of his life and you see how God met him along the way, you'll read one of the greatest stories, and it's because it comes out of a place of brokenness. And this final scene I want you to see in the movie, William has taken his family for the first time back to Rwanda. He's also taken a family that he met in Nashville who was dealing with their own family brokenness. His daughter was keeping a secret that was eating her alive and was destroying her family, her relationship with her parents. And in Rwanda, one night, she's sitting by the edge of a pool with William's daughter, and they're talking. And all of a sudden, they relive their brokenness. Take a look at the scene. It's hard to imagine there was ever a war here. It is so beautiful. Yes. But this is not the Rwanda I see when I close my eyes. Get out the car now. At the roadblock. We just knew we were going to die. Come. You shut up and you be still. I was just waiting for my turn to die. But what we did not know was that God had a miracle in store for us. The faces, the sounds, they never leave me. But May, I had no idea. How do you live with the pain? As my father reminds me, everyone is broken in some way, Andrea. God loves us through our pain, our past, our fear. I just stood there. I couldn't move. Andrea. Why is it that broken people tell the best stories. Perhaps it's because they have lived through incredible pain and they've survived. 
Not that everything went right. Not that they even lived happily ever after. But that somehow they are in touch with a a side of humanity that those who have not been broken cannot identify with. Perhaps it's because they get life. And they get us. They understand what it's like to walk through incredible brokenness. As we close this morning, I want you to hear from a couple here at Grace Crossing Church who have walked through their own brokenness and want to share that story with us here this morning. And so um, I'm going to invite Patrick and Paula Butler to come. And would you, uh, would you welcome them, please, as they come here to the front? Thanks, you guys. Yeah, either seat is fine. Yeah. Wow. So thank you guys for coming. Thank you so much for sharing today uh, your story. Um, It was over a year ago that you guys reached out to me and said, we want to meet. We want to talk. We're going through some some tough things in our life right now that we we want some counsel on. Talk about what it was in your life at that time that precipitated that phone call and our meeting. Prego. <laughs> Prego. Prego. Yes. I break the ice. Yes. <laughs> um, well, Patrick and I came to Pastor Gill broken in our marriage. Um, that all started by an emotional affair by me. And that started through Facebook uh, with a gentleman that I knew back in elementary school, and it was very innocent initially. Um, until he began to share his turmoil in his life about his sexual abuse. And then I began to share with him about my sexual abuse, in which, as a young child, for many years, I was abused by my older sibling. Um, It is something that I never told my husband about, And so as time went on, several months, I began to have an affair online uh, with this gentleman. And it it was disclosed to my husband, I don't even remember how, through a text or something like that, and we came to Pastor Gill completely broken, he more so than I. Um, We just... We're looking for guidance. Yeah, Yeah, and I remember that day, uh, Patrick, I remember you uh, in the office and um, just how devastated you were even to learn of what she just shared publicly that you didn't know up until that moment. Um, What was that like for you? Well, obviously it was very painful uh, for me, but through prayer, um, after I retired from the Air Force, I took a job with a company out of Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana. And after a year, the company, we were doing really well, so my boss asked me if we wanted to expand the branch up to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I was chosen to go up and get that branch up and running, and Paula and I agreed to the year that he asked me to do that. So in hindsight, after a year, we were doing so successful that one year turned into two years, and two years turned into three years. 
Paul and I even talked about relocating our family up to uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, but we decided that our next move was going to be someplace warm. So we decided to stay here. Um, through prayer, God, after that, I'd say that first year, planted a seed in my heart, and I started to feel a lot of guilt that I was not being the husband and the father that I needed to be for, to my two young children at home. And but I was driven to make this company successful. So I kind of put blinders on. And Paula was throwing me nuggets about she can't do it all. You know, she works full time. She was going to school to get her degree and whatnot. And two very active elementary school children that play soccer full time. And I was just kind of ignoring that. So I take a lot of blame and the, the, uh, the affair that she had because she needed somebody. She was trying to reach out and I was not there for her. And I took that personally hard. And when I found out about the fair, I prayed about it. And God said, I don't know what else to do to wake you up and understand that your wife needs you and your kids need you. And so shortly thereafter, I decided to relocate back to Indianapolis, Indiana, so I can be home in the morning and in the evening with my family and whatnot like I needed to be. I needed to be that husband and I needed to be that father. And that was only by the grace of God. And if I could just say one thing, Paula and I are, are very private people. And only by the grace of God can we get up here and share this experience with you folks. Um, this is something that we'd never, never, never be able to do if it wasn't by the grace of God. I think one of the things I so appreciate about you guys as you're sharing your story today is that you're both taking responsibility for what you were responsible for, right? There were things, Paula, you recognized needed to change, places you needed to go for. Uh, obviously, one of the things I want you to talk about is you knew you needed to go back yeah. to go forward. Like, you, know, you knew you needed to, to deal with that issue that had been hidden for so long. Talk about what that process has been like for you. Yeah, so um, it was this experience and then also a testimony by another GCC member who came out uh, and disclosed her abuse that gave me the courage ultimately to face this and, and go back and bring it forward so that I could finally heal. My responsibility to my family and my husband was to and is to love myself well and so that I could love them well. And I was not loving them well. They were not getting 100% of me. They were lucky if they were getting half. And I say that to my kids. And what was left over was what I was giving to Patrick, and that wasn't enough. And so I began to break down that wall. I had this wall of steel that... I never thought would ever be able to come down. And so we were going through a series of emotional intelligence at the time, and with every week in sermon, a small little layer would come down, and I would cry, and it was very painful. We would cry together. It was very painful um, in a lot of other ways, intimately. Um, and, and, and he understood that, was very supportive. But then I began to heal. And the beautiful thing is, I'm, I'm not getting teary-eyed because of that pain. 
I'm getting teary-eyed because of what God did in my heart. And I prayed and prayed for him to come into my heart, to break down that barrier and come back with me. Um, and he did. <laughs> he did. It took a little longer than I thought, <laughs> but he did. And, um, and then we came barreling through together in victory. And I was able to shed that ugly skin hmm. of mine. And it was a spiritual rebirth for me. One in which I, f I feel sometimes as though I can conquer the world because he is on my side. And that is such a beautiful feeling. And, and so I continue to pray every day, and I always will, because it takes maintenance. It's not a get it and forget it. Right. The scars will be there. But each time the darkness comes, I will bring him with me. He is, he is here with me, and, and I know now that he is there with me. And so that's, that's the beautiful thing. And uh, I know there might be some people out there who think that that's not possible. I was one of those people. I was one of those people that said there's no possible way that these folks are just that happy, you know, or that they have God in their life and it makes them feel that good. But it does. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for sharing. Um, I'm so honored that you've been willing to share with our body. This is a, honestly, this is a statement of trust for you to give this church, to say we trust this family with a very private, personal, painful part of our past. And, um, and I think I can tell you that this body will steward it well um, because we care about you and we care about people who come here that, that have experienced brokenness. And I know as we sat in my office just a few weeks back and I could just tell the flame had been rekindled and God has done new things in your marriage uh, to restore you, both of you. Uh, but it's taken hard work. It's taken a willingness, right, to make changes, sacrifices. Family's the number one priority. Yeah. I mean, you may not see those barriers right now, but if you pray, they're going to pop in, and look, the Lord's going to guide you, and he's going to tell you which way to go to break those barriers down. And as you just heard, I had a barrier. Didn't want to hear it. was doing great in Ann Arbor, making that money. Come home for the weekends. Paula had a barrier, so it was just, it was just a recipe for what we went through. And, and through the great grace of God, you know, we, we've come through it and family's the most important thing i love them dearly yeah it's great well can you guys all express appreciation thank you so much for sharing. it takes a lot of courage to do that and i know that i i hope you heard what paula said that it was somebody else's story that god used you see broken people tell the best stories it's just the way it is because there's some, in some way they can identify with a part of our humanity that people who have not been broken cannot. So back at the holidays, I had a friend of mine send me a picture of a Christmas gift he got. 
There was a piece of pottery that is called kintsugi, and here's a picture of it. Um, Kintsugi is a piece of Jewish pottery where a broken vessel, a broken jar, a broken bowl is not discarded, but rather it is filled in with 24 karat gold so that the scars and the brokenness is not covered over, but rather it is used as a part of the story. That is what God does with our lives. God does not discard us when we're broken. God fills our lives with the beauty and the richness of his presence. So that our scars are still seen. Our brokenness is still there. And yet God is healing it and he's showcasing us as a vessel of glory and honor for him. The powerful scene in the movie where William says this. He says, for a lump of clay to become a beautiful bowl, it must endure some fire. And it's so true. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. And and I'm going to ask you as we pray this morning to just simply lift up your brokenness to God. We all have it. And brokenness is a posture that we take before God. It's not just something that happens to us. Brokenness is a position and a posture that we move into. Where we actually humble ourselves before him. And I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes and Turn the palms of your hand upward, if you, if you will. Just take your hands and just before you, place the palms of your hands upwards by simply saying, God, I offer to you the entirety of my life, everything about me. Because you know my story and you know my pain and you know my heartache. And you're there to meet me and fill me with your presence and the richness of your love. And so, Father, as we as a body stand before you today, we recognize that um, we're all broken in a variety of ways. We're broken because we live in a broken world. Things happen to us that we have no control over. People do things that we cannot control. Things are said or done that cause incredible pain. Sometimes our own actions create brokenness. But whatever it is at the end of the day, Lord, we want to offer to you the entirety of our lives because you already know everything about us. And so I pray for each one of us, Lord, that you would take our lives in this broken moment and make us beautiful. I pray if there's a person standing here today that has never surrendered their heart to you, that they'll do that in this moment, that they'll surrender the leadership of their life to you. I pray for the person here today that is the story of Paula and Patrick resonated with them and they're feeling either personal brokenness from something in their past or their marriage is experiencing brokenness right now. God, thank you that you can heal that. Thank you that you want to meet us there. And so we offer our lives to you, every part of our life, 
Pray that you would be glorified in us and in it to your honor and to your glory. And we give you thanks for it. And we pray these things in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Bless you all. Tomorrow night, one prayer. If you can join us, please do. 6.30. Bless you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.